Sort of. I almost told you if you have kids, go downstairs, but that would be bad. I'm glad I didn't say that. I don't know how many people I'd be preaching to this morning. Yeah, I like, I like you single guys. I was single for a long time too, so you're not out of the mix either. So I just don't want everybody else to go downstairs. I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to just uh, go back to what we were talking about last week. We're going to pick up from there, and we're going to move the ball further down the field. Does that sound all right? All right. All right. So let's pick up right back in John chapter 8. How many of you were here last week? Okay, for those of you that weren't, I'm going to try to recap some stuff for you so that you don't feel totally left behind and, uh, you know, trying to catch up. Last week we talked about what you're of and who you're of. We know in Hebrews, uh, the scripture says, we're not of those that shrink back. We're of those that have faith to the preserving of the soul. And he's talking about what you're made of, what you're, where you're coming from, where your roots are. Because in the next couple verses, he transitions to Hebrews 11 and begins to talk about these great men and women of faith that uh, move mountains and received their sons and daughters back from the dead and, and did great things for God. And he says, that's your family. We went back to Isaiah where he says, all of those of you that seek God, that are seeking righteousness... He says, look at the rock you were cut from. Look at the pit you were dug from. And he says, look to your father Abraham. Look to your mother Sarah. And look at those guys. Look at their faith because that's you. That's where you come from. I mean, that pit we were dug from, I mean, that's, that's where we came out of. And as new covenant believers, the pit we were dug from was a very grave that Jesus came out of. And as we were raised with him, we've been seated with him. As he got up, we got up. He says, look where you come from. So many of us would often, you know, blame a lot of our stuff in our life on, well, that's just my dad always dealt with that. You know, my, my dad, my grandpa, they were alcoholics. And my mom had a temper, so I have a temper. You know, we blame these things. And I understand that there are things that you inherited or things you learned from your parents or whoever raised you. I get that. That's true. But what's bigger than that? is that you are a new creation in Christ. And who you were is not who you are. And that's good news. You say, but I still feel it. I still feel the urge to blow off the handle or do this. You know what? But you don't have to anymore. You're not a slave to it anymore. Oh, it comes and knocks at your door and says, oh, remember me? And you can say, I remember you. Get out of here. You don't owe you anything anymore. Get out of here. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've got a new family now. I've got a new inheritance in Christ. So Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. He's trying to teach some people, but the Pharisees keep following him around, asking him dumb questions, trying to trip him up. You know, they were smarter than the questions they asked, but they asked really dumb questions. They argued with him about this because they were queuing in on something, they, they started to realize that he's referring to God as if God is his father. And that's a big no-no for them. Because to them, by saying God was my father, here's what the scripture said, they said by him saying that, he's saying he's equal to God. You see, they understood the relationship between a father and a son. That, that relationship was bigger than we give it credit for. We say God is our father. We don't know what we're saying when we say that. When Jesus said that, these Pharisees, they knew what that meant. That's a big deal. As Jesus said that, they said, you know, you can't be, I mean, your father's not God. I mean, look at us. You can't be saying the right thing. We, we don't believe what you're saying. And J Jesus perceives your thoughts, and he, he talks through this with them. And uh, it seems like a bit of an argument, but Jesus is the one that didn't lose his cool. The, the, the religious leaders that argued with him, they lost their cool because they went from accusing him of being a blasphemer to accusing his mom of being a fornicator to accusing him of being a Samaritan, which is not a big deal, but to them, that's like the biggest thing they could call him, and accusing him that, saying he had a demon. So they're escalating. They're just flying off the handle, throwing everything at him, seeing what sticks. But I want to reread something we read last week in John chapter 8. We're not going to read everything we read last week because this is just more of a recap. But start in verse 21. Then Jesus said again to them, I go away and you will seek me 
and you'll die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, why did he say they were going to die in their sin? That seems like an awful thing to say. Well, he said it because they refused to receive him. The only way to be delivered from your sin is through Jesus. Now, if you reject Jesus, as Hebrews says, there's not another sacrifice for you. That's what the book of Hebrews said, because the book of Hebrews is written towards some of these Jewish people that were on the fence. He says, guys, don't think you can come back and offer an animal and it'll make up because the old way is going away and the new way is coming. He says, if you reject this sacrifice, there doesn't, there, there remains no longer for you another one. So Jesus is saying, if you reject me, you'll seek me. You'll, you'll try to figure out where I'm going. But if you re- reject what I'm saying to you right now, you're going to die in your sins. Why would Jesus say something like that? It seems like a mean thing to say, but it's the kindest thing he could have said. The kindest thing you can say to a person that's dying when you have the cure is not just, I have the cure. Because if you say, I have the cure, and somebody's dying, but they don't know they're dying, they won't receive the cure from you. They don't think they need it. The first, the nicest thing you could say to somebody that's dying, if you have the cure and they're dying, is you're dying. You got to come to the realization you're dying so that you can live. I know that doesn't sound fun. You know, the scripture says we are the aroma of Christ to God. The freak, to God, we smell like Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Because we were stinky people. I'm, I'm sorry, but we stunk. But now we smell like Christ to God. But he says to those that are perishing, we are the very scent of death. Now, why do I want to smell like death to them? You're a reminder. You are the wake-up call. Guys, you're dying. And you're not telling them they're dying because you want to rejoice in their sadness. You want to tell them they're dying so that they'll accept the cure. Mm -hmm. If they don't believe they're dying, they're not going to accept a cure from you. Get away from me with that. So the first thing we got to know is, I mean, hey, you got to convince somebody, hey, you're a slave. Do you know you're a slave? Nah, I'm not a slave. You obviously are. Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees. He says, you guys are slaves. And they say, we've never been slaves to anyone. He said, sure you have, because you've been in your sin, and you're trapped in it. You can't get out of it. He says, you're a slave. Why did he tell them that? Because he had the key. He was wanting to set them free, and in order for them to be free, they first had to be awake and aware of what the real circumstances they were in. So he does this. It may seem harsh, but I'll tell you, tough love is Jesus telling you, let me be real with you. Here's your situation. Here's what I want to do. You have to be okay with him saying, guys, this is like in the book of Revelation. You know when he writes that letter to the church in Laodicea? And he tells them, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. You think you've got nice clothes, but you're naked. You think you can see, but you're blind. That seems like Jesus. I mean, come on, guys. If Jesus were to write a letter to us, can you imagine Jesus writing a letter to our church? Is there anybody in the room that would like to believe that if Jesus wrote a letter to us, it would be anything but nice stuff? We all think it'd be really nice. That's Jesus. He's nice. I'll tell you, Jesus is loving. He's not always nice. He's loving. (laughs) He is love incarnate. Love sometimes has to be a little truthful. No, I take that back. Love has to be completely truthful. And so Jesus, Jesus writes a letter. Can you imagine? Now, the church in Laodicea, just like with all the other churches in those first three chapters of Revelation, there's seven churches that get letters. All of these churches, the apostle that's over them is John, legendary John. He's the only one of the 12 that's still alive, one of the originals. And he is the guy that wrote those three letters about love. He is known as the apostle of love. And you, you just love getting letters from John. And you know, John is a tough old man. They took him. They tried to kill him. They couldn't kill him. So they throw him on an island where they think they'll shut him up. He's still writing letters. And you go, guys, 
Guess what? I just got a letter. It's from, a, it's from our apostle John. We got a letter. Oh, yeah, good. What does he say? Well, here's the weird thing. He, it's a letter, and there's other letters to other churches here, but it's like it's not from John. He says it's Jesus told him to write this. Oh, we got a letter from Jesus. We got a letter from Jesus. Put it on the wall. This is all. They're so proud. Jesus wrote us a letter. Bring all our other churches that didn't get letters. Bring them to our church. We want to show up. Jesus wrote us a letter. Oh, he says, oh, yeah, we're doing some things right. This is good. Oh, wait a second. Hey, what's this stuff about us being Luke? He wants to throw us up? What? what? I mean, hang on. And he says, you think you're rich, but you're poor. What do they think? They think they had it made. They, have, they were doing well. He says, you're really poor, guys. He says, you think you got nice clothes, you're naked. You think you can see, but you're blind. Now, imagine all the smiles that just went, mm. it just feel like the wind, the air got sucked out of the room. This guy, this poor guy's got to read this. <laughs> Can you imagine the guy that wanted to be the guy that read the letter from Jesus? Oh, what an honor. And as he's reading, he goes, oh, what a dumb mistake. Oh, why me? Should have had that guy read it. As he's reading it to the church, can you imagine how they felt? But Jesus didn't tell them that to put them down. Because right after he says, I encourage you, come to me and I'll give you real gold. Come to me and I'll give you real a robe. I'll give you, I'll give you my clothes. He says, come to me and I will give you salve for your eyes that you might see. You see, Jesus wanted to give them what they needed most. But in order to give it to them, he had to wake them up to the reality that they needed it. Do you ever feel that way? See, the greatest moments in your life, you may not think it, but the greatest moments of your life are when the Holy Spirit wakes you up to the reality that you're not exactly where you should be. And he never does it to condemn you. Because condemnation will push you further down, will cause you to want to get up, give up. Condemnation will cause you to say, what's the use? I'm throwing my, I'm throwing my ball away and I'm running home. But when the Holy Spirit does it, and if you'll open your heart to the Holy Spirit, he's not saying you're such a loser. He's saying, come here, I got something better for you. Let's push deeper. Let's go further. You need this. You don't know you need it yet, but you do. So Jesus is being a little hard on these Pharisees, but it's for a reason. It's because he loves them. Do they deserve to be loved right now? No, but he loves them. None of us deserve to be loved, but he loved us. Can you accept that sometimes Jesus might love you enough to be real honest with you, real blunt with you, but he always follows it up with the solution? Did you hate? We had, oh, I had a teacher in sixth grade. Now, I, I don't know, maybe you guys can identify with this. This was what I hated the most. We had a teacher in sixth grade who said we used to have these like special passes we'd get at recess and you could do whatever you wanted. And he'd say, no more passes. Until this class cleans up its act. Because there are some things going on that aren't good. And you who are doing them, you know who you are and you know what you're doing. And the whole class is going to suffer until you get your act together. It was the worst thing in the world. Because none of us knew what he was talking about. <laughs> the whole class is suffering. We can't even like get on the person's case. We don't know what he's talking about. You know who you are. You know what you're doing. Get it together or nobody gets recess passes. In fact, nobody gets to go recess at all. So we're like racking our brains. We're begging him, just tell us what's going on. No, he wouldn't. It's just vague. So somebody in the class has got to get something together and we're all suffering for it. I hated that. Do you know what would have been kind of him to say? Here's the problem. Here's how you fix it. Fix it. That's what I want. That's what Jesus has given us. He's told you the truth. And sometimes the truth is a little hard to swallow at first, but he always attaches a promise to every command. And he says, change this. But guess what? You don't have to do it on your own. I got the answer here. I can help you. Just come to me and I'll fix it. Come to me and I'll make it right. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful to know it. I mean, he's basically saying there's a tumor, but I can do the surgery. In fact, the way I do surgery is, is non-invasive. I just take that thing out. You let me, I'll do it. 
Here's the cool thing. That he had love for these Pharisees, even though they didn't receive it. He says, you'll die in your sin. You reject me, you'll die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He spent his time saying, this is where I came from. Now he's telling them, this is where I'm going. But I'm going here because this is where I came from. You can't follow me there. And they say this. The Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them. Now, when, when, when the gospel says the Jews, you know, everybody in the whole, all the gospels pretty much, with the exception of a few, and especially towards the end. But everybody Jesus was teaching were Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. So when it says the Jews, he's not talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about the religious leaders. So they're arguing with him. And he says, you are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. That's an important point. You guys, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world, so you're thinking stupid. I'm not of this world, so I think differently. Now look what he says. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I'm he, in other words, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, I'm the son of the living God, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I've heard from him, these I speak to the world. Now, They did not realize he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I'm he and that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. Isn't this great? He who sent me is with me. Isn't it wonderful to know that when God sends you, he goes with you? You are not going to a far off land and you're going to return to him and give him a report. When he sends you somewhere, he's with you. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, I'm going to skip down a little bit into verse 42. He says, sorry, verse 41. Jesus said to them, you're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth, I've come from God. For I've not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear my word. Then he says, you're of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. He goes, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why don't you believe me? He who is of God or from God hears the words of God. For this reason, you don't hear them because you are not of God. So I want to stop there. And this is, that was the end of our recap. And let's just, let's just think about what that means. Basically, he's saying it matters where you come from. It matters who you come from. Matters who your father is. And we're not talking about your earthly father here. We're talking about who you're following, what you're doing. And Jesus said, I'm of my father. I'm of God. I came from him. That's why I do what I do. He says, you're of your father, the devil. Now listen, he calls the devil two things, a murderer and a liar. Why are those two things important? Because they want to kill Jesus and they can't believe when when he speaks the truth, they can't hear it. So because their father's a murderer, they have murder in their hearts. Because their father is a liar, they can't hear the truth. Here's the flip side. When you got born again, you took on his nature. So what does the scripture say? We love because he first loved us. Because our father is love, we've got love. Because our father is truth, we can hear the truth and know the truth, and the truth will make us free you got to know who you are. Now, I want to go to Ephesians because this is so important. As we go into Ephesians 1 and 2, as he begins to set up, and we're going to try our best to get through it. I know there's so much into it. Have you ever tried to rush through a rich meal? 
I would have thought I'd hear more yeses. I sure have. Some of you are so patient. But I, I, you ever try to rush through a rich meal and then you wish you had savored it more? <laughs> my first time I ever took my, she was my future wife at the time. First time I ever took her out to dinner. I took her to a nice place that served nice food. That's tip number one, all right? You take them to a nice place. If the best you can afford is you normally go to Burger King, but you can afford to go to like Subway, then take her to Subway. Just do your best. I took her to a, a nice place, and I remember Tia, you ate like a couple of pieces, a couple of bites of salad, like sniffed your main course and then a little bit, because she was, she, we were both so excited. I was not too excited to eat my food. <laughs> but I remember us going after, going, man, I wish we had savored that more. I don't even remember what I ate. <laughs> well, I had a good excuse that time. But I, I want to take our time here so that we, we really get what he's saying. But we're going to have to move through it a little bit so that we can get to where we're going. So in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read you something starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Mm -hmm. You hear that? He has blessed us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In other words, guys, there's not a thing you need. Spirit, there's not one spiritual thing you need that you haven't already been given. He's already given it to you. It's time to just walk in it. It's time to just go and do what God's called you to do because he's already given you the tools for it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, isn't that good? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, you're going to see words like this. I mean, you might not, you might have come in the room today and not felt like you deserved anything from God. And the truth is, none of us did. But what you're going to see as we read this first chapter is you're going to see words like love, kindness, his great love. You're going to see words like lavish. You're going to see that God really, 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 really loves you. You got to get that. You got to know that. You got to know where our starting position is. So many of us are working to that position. You got to start from that position. Look, he says, from the very foundation of the world, he picked you. From the very foundation of the world, he's looking forward to you being born. It says, he chose us that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Now you say, well, I'm a woman. Well, here's the deal. When this was written, sons had a different inheritance, had different status than daughters did. And what he's saying is, man, woman, boy, girl, y'all get the same status. Thank God. Praise the Lord. So you get the same inheritance as firstborn son would have in that day. You are not treated like anything less. We're all treated equal in the sight of God. And he says, as sons, he loved us and he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Here's what it's saying. It was, he, he picked you. He, he, he chose you before the foundation of the world. In love, he, he said, I'm going to adopt this person. They're going to be part of my family. And it says that this was to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely, and freely means two things. It means without charge and without limit. He just threw it on you. It says his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, isn't it amazing? As messed up as we all were, as messed up as this group might, might have been and might, you might think you are, that his name for us is the beloved. Isn't that awesome? That's what he calls us, the beloved. You think what we think about ourselves we're aware of our shortcomings, aren't we? Most of us are. We're aware of where, we, where we're messed up. We're aware that we might seem like a dysfunctional family. 
But to God, when he says, look, it's the beloved gathering today. The beloved. That's his name for us. Isn't that amazing? It says he, he poured out this grace and he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Anybody needed redemption? Yeah. You need to be bought back from your slavery. You need to be, we sold ourselves into slavery, you know? We had a debt we never could pay, but he bought us with his own blood. It says, the redemption of his blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I mean, come on. Look at the words he's using. Kind, lavish, freely bestowed riches of his grace. I mean, God is not holding anything back here. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. It seems to me that the writer here is trying to convince you, you got more than you knew. Look what he says. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He just lavished it on you. It says, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Everybody here knows that God's will is a mystery, right? Did you know he makes known the mystery of his will to his beloved? It's all through the New Testament. A mystery in the Bible is not mystery like we know it. You see, when we think of mystery, we think of like Encyclopedia Brown. I don't know, anybody remember Encyclopedia Brown? So I see teachers and some old students. Okay, we, we think of Sherlock Holmes. You think of, you think of some of these guys and, and Nancy Drew, all right? You, I, have, I have to be equal here. I have to throw some. So that's the only girl detective I know. Okay, so we throw those in. <laughs> well, I was just a boy. I read boy books when I was growing up, okay? Don't blame me. All right, so anyways. <laughs> These are the mysteries we think about. When we think of mysteries, we think of something that's hidden that that a person has got to go solve. But when we talk about mystery in the Bible, it's something that's hidden that you couldn't possibly figure out on your own. You couldn't. No matter how hard you search, you could never find it. Because a mystery is something that God has hidden himself for those that are seeking him. And he reveals mysteries. This is what Daniel said. I serve a God who reveals mysteries. A mystery, when we hear, when you see the word mystery in the Bible, it's something you could never understand in your own strength. You could have a thousand degrees, it wouldn't matter. You could read every theological book you could find, it wouldn't matter. Doesn't matter how smart you are, how educated you are, if God didn't reveal it to you, you couldn't understand it. Doesn't matter how simple your Bible translation is. There are certain things you can only understand by the Holy Spirit. The mystery of his will. He made known to us according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. That means everything in history. Everything that's ever happened, everything that God's ever done, everything that's ever been written is all going to be summed up in Christ. He's the point. He's the fullness of it all. And it says this, things in the heavens, things in the earth. In him also we have obtained. Guys, is that past tense? We have obtained it. We've already got it. In him, we've already obtained an inheritance. Now, where do you get your inheritance from? Typically, your, your parents, right? I mean, I know you can get inheritance from your grandparents, your uncle, whatever. But, but traditionally, your inheritance comes from your father, from your, your mother, whatever. Here, we're talking about God, and he has already given you your inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That doesn't mean everything that ever happens was his will, but it means that no matter what happens, it can't stop his will. He's going to make it work. And it says in verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. He's going to show us off. 
In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is the wonderful thing. When you believed in Jesus and you gave your life to Jesus, he sealed you. He put his spirit in you. And that spirit's not going anywhere. That spirit is your pledge of adoption. That spirit is your promise. You're mine now. That's wonderful. So many of us were doubting. Am I really saved? To really, you know, I, sometimes I just don't feel like it today. I don't feel like it worked. He said, I put a spirit in you that proves you're mine. It seals you. He says this, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Yes. Praise God. Yes, sir. Who has given us, who has given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So, you know, the scripture talks about two stages of adoption. We're not going to go into that right now, but I'll briefly refer to it. The scripture talks about the adoption we've already received. I'm his son. You're his daughter. We're, we're his family now. But there's a second stage of adoption that's coming. That is when your body's going to be redeemed. What's, what are we talking about? There's going to be a day where you trade this old sack of meat and bones and water in. That's, some of you, it's, it's like a leaky toilet. It's not working right. You wiggle, the, you wiggle, the, okay, wiggle this a little bit. It'll start working, right? You, you wake up in the morning, you wiggle it a little bit. It'll, it'll work, huh? I remember talking to an old, older pastor who was a very wise man. I said, you know, I said, I, I'm trying to understand. I said, the apostle Paul must have been so close to God when he's talking about how his own, he, his own body groans for him, how he's just longing for his new body. I said, I don't know if I identify with that. And he goes, that's because you're young and your body still does what you tell it to do. You could, you could eat Tupperware and it digest it. <laughs> And find a way to make that in a muscle. But he says, the older you get, the more you realize this is a body of death. <laughs> now, the life of God is working in your body. Amen. He renews your youth like the eagle. Yet this is not built to last. All flesh is grass. It's glory like the flower of the field. It will go away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This thing is not built to last forever. It's going to the ground. So put the priorities on the things that will last. That's right. That's right. That's right. But thank God, because I've got the life of God in my spirit. It even quickens my physical body, brings life to my bones, and I'm not dying until I'm done. Right. Amen? But it says... We know through Scripture that there's a second stage of adoption, fulfillment of our adoption, and that's when we trade in this body for his new body that he's got for us. And it'll be, it says, at this point, we're not seen for what we really are, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's the fulfillment of your adoption. Adoption stage one is awesome. We get all the rights of sons and daughters. We get the inheritance of sons and daughters. There's another stage to come, but you've been given a pledge. That Holy Spirit's your promise. I'm not done with you yet. Look what it says in verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks to you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord, here's what, I, here's what he's praying. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation means that he's going to unveil things. You're going to see things you didn't see before. Revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying that you would understand Jesus more than you understand him now. Because as you more you understand about Jesus, the more you see Jesus for who he is, the more you see who you really are. Yes. And he says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are big words, guys. <laughs> These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, 
which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, he's saying the power that's working toward you right now, the power of God that's available to you right now is the same power, just like we sang, the same power that got Jesus out of the grave. The same power that defeated death. It's the same stuff that's working in you right now. He says, I need to pray for you because you don't get it. I bow my knees before the Father so that you would get in your brain how much he's already given you. Because here's the deal. He had to pray for them because this isn't something you just get through your brain. This isn't something you just understand because somebody told you. This is something God's going to reveal to you. He said, do you realize all that first chapter? He's trying to tell him, do you realize what you've got? And then he's trying to say, guys, I've been praying for you. I get on my knees every morning and I pray, God, show them what they are. Show them who they really are. They don't know who they are. They don't know their inheritance. So many of them are believers and they know they're going to heaven, but they don't know what they've got right now. They don't know who they are. They don't know who their dad is. They don't know they got royalty pulsing through their veins. They still think and they live like a peasant. And I'm not talking about what you own. I'm talking about the mud that we stay in. The world that Jesus died to grab us out of and pull us out of the pit. And we go back and take a bath in it. He says, you don't realize who you are. Do you realize what you, go, what you are? You've been made of the same stuff as Jesus. I adopted you. I sent you. John chapter 17. Remember Jesus said, I'm not of the world. I'm from above. Then he said, the father sent me. In John chapter 17, he says, they're no more. He says, these people you've given me, they're no more of the world than I'm of the world. I'm not of the world. Neither are they. He says, just as you sent me, father, I sent them. So those things that Jesus was saying about him that made him different than everybody else where he came from, who his daddy was, where he's going. All of those things apply to you. And the apostle Paul says, every day I get down on my knees and pray that you would get it. And these are people that he's bragging on. These aren't, he's not writing a bunch of losers that just don't want to get it. He's writing to good, solid people. But it takes revelation to know who you really are because when you know who you are and when you know what your inheritance is and you know what your purpose is, everything changes. Look what he says. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, the one to come. And he put all things, every demon, every sickness, every authority, every power he put under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Can anybody tell me, what, are your feet part of your body? Yes. Feet are part of the body, right? We're the body of Christ. He put everything under his feet. Is there any power that's over you besides Jesus himself? No. You say, well, why am I still getting beat up by this? Why am I still addicted? Why am I still struggling? Why, am I, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Sometimes you've got to fight the fight till you win. That's right. But other times, guys, let's be honest. You, if, you, if you're not connected to the head and you're doing your own thing, the authority of the head you don't have anymore. Sometimes we're getting beat up by stuff because we're doing on our own thing. Jesus said, connected to me, anything you ask for, you can have. When you ask it in my name, that, that, so in his name doesn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm, praying, that, I'm, I'm praying that every member of, of the Calgary Flames would, would, just, would just, you know, uh, somehow get really, really fat and really, really old, really quick in Jesus' name. Well, you can't pray that in Jesus' name because that's not what he asked you to pray. No. But anything you ask in my name, you get. And the Father's glorified by that. And then he says, but apart from me, guys can't do anything. So here's the deal. We're going out and we're saying, well, the devil's under my feet. The devil's under my feet. And if you're not submitted to the head, I'm sorry. The devil's not under your feet. It says, submit yourself to God. Then you resist the devil and he flees from you. You can't, you can't just resist the devil and you're not submitted to God. That's what the seven sons of Sceva figured out. So you need to be submitted to God. Get under the head and everything's under your feet. Does that make sense? 
centurion said to Jesus, I'm a man under authority. I say go and they go. I say come and they come. We think he made a mistake. Don't you mean that you're a man who has authority? You say go and they go and you say come and they come? No, he says I'm under authority. In other words, when I tell this little guy, go get me something, He's not listening just to me. He's listening to the, whole, the, the full might of Rome. He's listening to the emperor because I'm, I'm under Rome. I'm under the emperor. And since I'm under the emperor, he has to listen to me as if he was listening to the emperor. But if that guy goes rogue, nobody has to listen to that guy. In fact, it's rebellion to listen to that guy. So look, it says, we're his body. We're his body. Oh, this is amazing. We're the fullness of him who wants to fill everything. Do you realize that Jesus wants to fill the earth? He wants to fill every part of it. And we're the way he's going to do it. We're his method of filling the earth. We are his fullness of him who fills all and is in everything. Now, I want to read you, I'm, you. You guys know me. I'm not a big... I, I like the translations that are real close to the original. I like my New American Standard. I like the ESV. But I'm going to read this to you out of the New Living, all right? So you'll, I'm not backsliding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you got a New Living, praise the Lord. But I, I would encourage you to have, if you're, if you're reading out of a, a fresh new translation, it's easy to read, praise the Lord. I'm glad because it's helping you understand it. But get a Bible you know is really accurate too so that you know what you're reading. But I want to read this to you out of the New Living because I think it just really comes alive in it. And uh, we're going to start... I'm going to start in verse 15 of chapter 1. Do you have that in New Living back there, buddy? It says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. I pray for you constantly. Now, that's the kind of leader I want to be like. You got it? Uh, we are in Ephesians 1, chapter 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. Man, you can't even be honest with the sound guy. Who can you be honest with? <laughs> I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Don't you like that? I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. What happens when the lights are all turned on? You can see everything, can't you? You know what you've got. You've got a room full of stuff, but the lights are off. You don't know what you have. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, I, I need to reveal this to you by my spirit. God says there are things that you're, you haven't even begun to think about that I've prepared for you. Your eye couldn't see it. Your ear couldn't hear it. It has never even entered your heart, some of the things I've prepared for you. But he says, those things, my, my spirit knows, because who knows the heart of man but a spirit of a man. He says, in the same way, who knows the heart of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, so that we may know yes. the things freely given to us by God. God wants to turn on the lights of your heart. Flood your heart with light so you know what you have and you know who you are. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and his glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he has made him his head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now I want to read this. Let's, let's pick up in chapter two, just in the New American Center. We won't go very far, but just there's a little bit more. And you guys, it's been so fun preaching to you. You guys are hungry. There's, you're sponges and you're soaking it up. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I'm back in the New American Center. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Sin is your old life. When you know who you are, you don't go back to that. When you know you're a human, you don't act like a dog. 
He says, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. You didn't know it, but you were obeying the devil. You thought you were doing your own thing, but you were doing his thing. (laughs) But when your eyes are open, you get it. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It was our nature to do the wrong thing. We couldn't help it. We did what we felt like doing, and we didn't feel like doing good things. We were indulging our flesh. What our flesh wanted to do, we did it. What you thought, the, the thoughts that you thought you couldn't control, I mean, you just, you, you just did whatever you thought was best. But then he says, we were no different than anybody else, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you see this? He sets it up. It's a dark scene. It's an apocalyptic kind of scene. Now, apocalypse is actually a good word. I don't know. I want to get into that right now. We're talking about revelation. Apocalypse is just a Greek word for revelation. But you, you see how the world, like the end of the world movies, that the world, you know, they're real popular right now. You wonder why they're real popular? Because people are picking up on something. Now, they're putting out stupid movies. But I'll tell you the truth. They're understanding that the way we're headed is not a good direction. They're all cluing into that. But you see these movies and things are broken and things are mad. I mean, like, you know, there's tumbleweeds flying around New York City. You know, these kind of really dark landscapes. That's the way it seems. The first part of this chapter, we were dead in our trespasses. We were stuck in our sins. We were obeying the devil. We didn't even know we were. We were doing what he wanted us to do. We were stuck. We were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then, all of a sudden, in that scene, comes the hero of the story. But God, being rich in his mercy. Oh, and he had to be rich in mercy to have enough for us. And he had more than enough. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you see these big words? Rich in mercy, great in love. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He just paints this whole scene for you. He just told you who you were. He just told you where you're sitting. Now here's the deal. Remember Jesus said, I'm from above, you're from below. That's why I say what I say and I do what I do. That's why you don't believe me. That's why I'm telling you what I'm telling you. You still don't get it. We just read a couple, a chapter and a half of where you really came from and where you're sitting right now. There's another scripture that says, since we've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, not the things below. Set your mind on things above not on the things below. You got to know where you are. You're not down there anymore. Get up from there. Get your nose out of the mud. That's not where you belong. You've been raised up with Christ. See, we are still sometimes approaching situations as if we're coming from the bottom. We're approaching it like everybody else would approach the problem. But how did Jesus approach these things? I mean, his reality of who his dad was changed everything. Jesus is the son of God. We need taxes. Go catch a fish. (laughs) You need fish? Throw the net on the other side. I'll I'll tell him to come. Hey, there's a storm that's trying to keep him from going where God sent him to go. He says, hey, storm, shut up. And the disciples go, who is this guy that even the wind and the seas obey him? So here's the deal. How did Jesus approach situations? He knew who he was. 
He knew where, where he was. I'm coming from above. I approached the situation from above, not from below. How would God handle this? You say, well, I'm not God. Absolutely, you're not. But he's with you. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're different now. You've been seated in heavenly places. And guess what? The scripture says that Christ is seated. He sat down, which, is, which means his work is done. He sat down at the right hand of God until all his enemies be made the footstool under his feet. All that stuff that we're struggling with, he's sitting down and it's all being made a footstool. And then he says, but I sat you right next to me. Come sit with me and look at these problems from above. Instead of tackling it like everybody else does, instead of going through life as if you're still the same old person, I pray that your heart would be flooded with light, that you'd know who you are. You know what your inheritance is. You know whose kid you are. You ever read those stories when you were a kid about that person who grew up as a peasant and they didn't know they were really actually royalty? And then somebody tells them and they're adopted and everything changes. Everything changes. That's your story. Everything changed. Now, here's the deal. Jesus left us on the planet. And he didn't leave us here so we could sit in the palace getting fat. The Bible says he's prepared some works for us to do in him. He's prepared you for them. You are his workmanship. He's prepared a path for you. Go walk in it. And it's going to take us in some dark places. It's going to take you in some rough places, some tough places. But you're going there as royalty. And even the wind and the seas and every demon in hell and every power that's named is under your feet. Amen. The gospel's not preached so that we can all get fat and lazy. The gospel's preached so that we can spread it and find more of our brothers and sisters and bring them into the family. So we may, sometimes the prince has to go into lands outside at the edge of the border and has to go in dark places and rough places. And sometimes the prince has to sleep in a tent, but he's still a prince. And he still carries everything the king's got. And at that name of that king, everything has got to bow. Stop looking at stuff like it's got control over you. Stop looking at something like it can beat you up. There's not a thing on the planet that can stop you from doing the will of God. The only thing that stops you from doing the will of God is you. Not a power in hell, not a power on earth, not a nation. Come on, guys. We, I mean, you, you're watching the news, some of you. You're seeing what's going on all over the world. But there's not one uprising. There's not a nation. There's not a power that can stop us from doing the will of God. Jesus said, even if they kill you, they can't harm a hair on your head. And I believe, if I'm following the pattern of Brother John, who wrote that book of Revelation, they're not going to kill me until I'm done my mission. And then, it's like Jesus said, you don't take my life, I lay it down. But here's the deal. Come on, guys. There's some things. What we, we're thinking worldwide. Some of you are just thinking, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful when I stand in front of 10,000 people and they all are there to hear the gospel and I'm preaching in front of thousands and people are getting healed, delivered, set free. Uh, amen, I'm with you on that. But if you believe that, start where you are right now. Are demons, ba- are demons listening to you right now? Are powers bowing down at the feet of Jesus when you speak? If you say no, then I pray that your heart would be flooded with light so you know who you are, you know what you've got. And you know, sometimes you got to take that first step and just say it. Sometimes you got to take that first step and walk out even when you don't feel like you got it behind you. Can you stand with me this morning?